Goodman, you have, I'm sure, experienced in some way. In fact, many of the famous people in this world were rejected earlier in their life. There's lots and lots of stories. We don't have time to go through all of them. But if you know, for instance, the author Rudyard Kipling, he was told one time that he didn't have a good command of the English language. And there are musicians that have experienced that too, told they had no talent before they got their big break. People who have started businesses and been rejected or gotten that letter that says your idea is terrible and then they decide to do it on their own and the rest is history. Rejection, we know, is something that hurts. When you experience rejection, it hurts. And the reason it hurts is because it really does hurt. In fact, the most up-to-date brain research has found that pain is processed in the same part of your brain, whether it is a physical or an emotional injury. So if you stub your toe or skin your knee and that feels painful, your brain is using a part of itself to tell you that it's pain. It's that same area in your brain that is also processing the pain that you feel when you feel rejected, when you are looked over. It helps to explain why things like heartbreak and loss or being left out hurt so bad. We can't always quantify it, but it just feels bad. Our desire to be included socially is actually tied to our aversion to pain. See, we were created as very social beings, meant to be together with other people. It's one of the reasons that lockdown was so painful and so hard for so many people, especially people who were on their own or alone in their home during that time. So when we say rejection hurts, it's literally because it hurts. Your body processes that pain. But you don't need to study or research to tell you that. Because everybody knows this in one way or another. If you've been picked last for kickball, or told that your best was never good enough, or heard your boss say, today is your last day, or you've been unfriended or unfollowed online. Or you've been relationally dumped. Or your friend stops hanging out and becomes someone else's best friend. You feel that pain because it literally hurts. Your body processes it. We actually even remember and recall those emotional wounds longer than we do our physical wounds. They linger, slighted, excluded, rejected. This is our last week in our series, Been There, where we've been looking at the life of Jesus, and when it comes to rejection, he has most definitely been there. He has experienced rejection to the extreme, all the way to the cross. So today is about seeking how do we actually start to move beyond it, because it is possible to move beyond the pain of rejection. 
Sometimes when we face rejection, we don't realize it in the moment, but not all rejection is bad. Sometimes it actually can lead to something better that God has planned for you. Sometimes when you don't get that job that you really wanted, it's so that you can say yes to that next thing. There's lots of stories to choose from in the Bible, but I want to go back to Mark chapter 3. If you have a Bible, you can open up there. This is the same chapter that we looked at last week where Jesus healed a man who had a, uh, a disabled hand or a paralyzed hand, and he healed him so that it was completely restored. But he did it on which day? He did it on the Sabbath day, which for the teachers of the law, the Pharisees, the I call them the religious police, they did not like that because the Sabbath was supposed to be the day where you rest and you do no work. And so they were looking and keeping an eye on Jesus, trying to trip him up. After Jesus healed that man on the Sabbath, he gained more and more followers, more and more people who were following him around. They saw him do that miracle, and they wanted to see more. So they kept following him around, and then eventually they saw him actually heal people in ways that they had never seen before. In chapter 3, verse 10, it says this, For he had healed many, so that those with diseases were pushing forward to touch him. Whenever the impure spirits saw him, they fell down before him and cried out, You are the Son of God. Now for people who were looking to trip Jesus up, who did not like what he was doing and what was happening, this would have been blasphemous for them to hear. Teaching, healing, Casting out evil spirits. It's a busy time for Jesus. The story we're going to look at this morning starts in verse 20. Right after Jesus does this, he appoints 12 disciples. And then he goes and he shares a meal with them. Verse 20, let's read that. It says, Then Jesus entered a house, and again a crowd gathered so that he and his disciples were not even able to eat. How many people were at that birthday party? Yeah, so imagine all of those people cramming into your house, or your house. Imagine you have a hundred people or more at your house. It's so crowded that you don't even have a spot to sit down to eat. Here we go again, people are crowding in because they are waiting for what Jesus is going to do next. All they're trying to do right here is simply share a meal. But with Jesus, it seems like nothing is ever that simple. More and more people are coming. If this were today, we would say that Jesus has hit a new subscriber milestone. He has more followers following him on his social media Invitations to speak are pouring in. People are taking notice. Groupies are jumping on his bandwagon so that he can't get a moment's rest. Here's where the turn happens, verse 21. When his family heard about this, what he was doing, the healing, the casting out demons, 
what happened? They went to take charge of him, for they said, he is out of his mind. He's crazy. He's having a mental health crisis. He's casting out demons. They're saying he is the son of God. He's doing things on the Sabbath. Whatever was going through their mind, we don't know exactly. We know that they thought he was crazy. These are the people that should have known who he really was and supported him from the very beginning. They want to take him out of there. They're really embarrassed at how he's acting. Unfortunately, some of you know this pain personally. Rejected, misunderstood, and marginalized by your own family. Why do they respond this way? When you are young, you learn a lesson early on that when you come to a crosswalk or you come to the street, what are you supposed to do? Look before you cross. You're supposed to look both ways. You look to the left, you look to the right before you step out. If you have headphones in, you have to take one out so you don't suddenly step into traffic. If you are overseas, Make sure you look the opposite way because the traffic might be coming from a way that you're not familiar with. When we read the Bible, we have to learn to do this too. When there's something that we don't understand, why is this family reacting this way? We do the same thing. We look to the left at what comes just before. We look to the right at what comes just after. Right before this, it says Jesus appointed 12 disciples and he gave them authority to preach and drive out demons. This gets the attention of the authorities in Jerusalem. Something's up with this. When we look to the right at what comes just after, we actually see how these authorities respond. Let me read one verse, verse 22. It says, and the teachers of the law who came down from Jerusalem said he is possessed by Beelzebub, by the prince of demons, he is driving out demons. They not only call him possessed, but that he's doing it in the name of the devil. From what we know of Jesus, this is way far from the truth. Somehow his family is feeling the shame of this. They want to take him away. They think he's gone mad. When Jesus is rejected by his own family in this moment, and this is a story that often was, they tried to suppress this story for a long time because they didn't think it made Jesus or Jesus' family look very good. There were many centuries where people didn't like to read stories in the Bible like this one because it, it didn't match what they thought of with Jesus or that his family was somehow holier than everybody else. No, they were family. They were people just like you and me. Rejected by his own family, the pain for Jesus must have been huge. If you put yourself in his shoes and you were rejected in the same way, you'd feel horrible. And I know that that's probably how he felt. Yet sometimes when we hear these things, we think, yeah, but that's Jesus. That's his story. Isn't he supposed to be rejected and suffer and have to go through all that? Well, yes and 
No, he's still human. He still feels it. Sometimes we think, well, surely he must have known that he was going to be rejected in this way. Surely that's not what my life is supposed to look like. If we look back at verse 14, we see a clue about why he's rejected. Verse 14, he appointed 12 that they might be with him. Because being with Jesus is different than being around him. See, there were lots of people that were around him, following him around. But Jesus wanted people to be with him. Have you ever been around someone, but you're not really with them? Who here is a Warriors fan? I know we've got a couple of you. You might be a Warriors fan. You might go to a game. You might be the greatest fan in the world. But until you've been on the team bus or in their training facility in the offseason, you're not truly with them. Now, I could change Warriors to any, any team. We're not truly with that team, even though we think we are. And many of the people that were following Jesus around thought that they were with him when all they were was just near him. They didn't truly get what he was doing, and this includes some of his family. That small group that Jesus appointed to be with him, he gives them authority to do what he does. He sends them out to preach good news, to heal in his name, to cast out demons. They had that same power enabled within them. Because when you are with Jesus, you actually get to experience what he experiences. Pretty cool. Imagine being empowered by Jesus to go out and lay hands on someone and they're healed. We have to be careful because when we think about things like that, then we start to get a big head. We start to think that, man, he needs us. But he doesn't need us. He chooses to use us. Yes, that's the cool part, but wait, there's more, just like an infomercial. When you're rolling with Jesus, there is also a price to pay, and rejection is often the toll. Nobody likes to pay tolls. We know that very well here in the Bay Area. When you roll with Jesus, not only do you get to experience what he experiences, but you're also going to experience the negative stuff that he experienced as well. People won't understand you. They might think you're strange. They might ask you, what do you mean you don't want to go there or do this? They wonder why you make time to be here on Sunday morning. They think it's a strange discipline to give 10% of what you earn to God. Your family might not get it. And the pain of that rejection can be raw at times. Because being with Jesus is different than being around him. This raises the question for us. How do we respond to rejection? Let's start with two things that Jesus did not do when he was rejected. And he does these in not just this story, but in many stories where he is rejected. Two things, two R words. He did not retaliate, and he did not retreat. He 
did not retaliate and he did not retreat. For you and me, this is hard because our brain in that moment actually struggles to think straight when you have been rejected. Our instinct in that moment is to want to return the favor. Somebody rejects you, what do you want to do? You want to reject them back even harder. Somebody yells at you or says something, you want to come at it even harder. Research has actually found that our reasoning and intelligence, and I found this is so interesting, actually drops by about 25 to 30% in the moments after we've been rejected. This is what causes people to want to lash out in anger or, even worse, engage in self-harm. Sometimes the pain of rejection is so intense and our intelligence and our reasoning ability drops that people go very far in how they respond. I heard the phrase one time, hurt people hurt people. Retaliating beyond our hurt. That's why we lash out at an ex or a friend who is being a jerk. Or the pain is so sudden and shocking that you might have the opposite reaction. You might just want to crawl in a hole and hide and hope nobody finds you. To hide from the embarrassment. If you've ever asked somebody out and been rejected, you don't want to put yourself in that situation again. The walk of shame stinks. You try to hold your head up high, but it's hard. When we're wounded, sometimes we end up isolating ourselves. We shut the door, we raise the drawbridge, we batten down the hatches, all those phrases, because we don't want to let people back in when we have been wounded in certain ways. The problem is, is that the walls that we build in those moments actually become our prison that keeps us from living the life God wants us to live. How does Jesus respond by not retaliating or retreating? What does he actually do? Let's read a few more verses, starting in verse 31. It says, Then Jesus' mother and brothers arrived. Standing outside, they sent someone in to call him. Your mother and brothers are outside looking for you. Jesus responds, who are my mother and brothers, he asked. Then he looked at those seated in a circle around him and said, here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does God's will is my brother and sister and mother. At first glance, when you read this, we think, ouch, he's, he's dissing his family. He's more or less disowning them in this moment. But when we read it again, we actually see that he's not speaking to his family. They're, they're outside. They can't hear this. He's talking to the crowd inside. How does Jesus respond to that sting of rejection that he's feeling already? He responds by seeing who is present, not who isn't. He looks around at the people around him, the people who want to be there regardless of their motives. And when he looks, 
he responds by offering an invitation. This is the most unusual way to respond to rejection. See, we like to sometimes worry about or think about the person who isn't here, the person who did leave us, or who isn't in our life anymore. For Jesus, he looks at who is present, who is around, and he extends an invitation. John chapter 1 says this, He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. This is not just his family, but also many of his people who rejected him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he did what? He gave the right to become children of God. He said, welcome in, family. His earthly family didn't get what he was doing. They were around him. They probably knew him in many ways, but they weren't truly in this moment with him. Now, it doesn't mean that that can't change in the future. I don't think that Jesus gave up on his family at all. I think he continued working with them, praying for them, whatever the case may be. Right in this moment, though, they aren't with him. It's as if their seat at the table is vacant. And when Jesus looks around at that empty seat, that's not what he sees. He sees an open seat, and he invites those who are there to join him. I'm sure that he grieved the loss of people who left him because we know that loss hurts, especially when it's people. He focused on being present with whomever was around him. He was inviting people to be with him, not just around him. Ultimately, Jesus kept on doing what he knew he was called to do. And that was to extend love to all. And respond to those whose hearts were open and ready. These are just some of the things that Jesus does in responding to rejection. When you read other stories, you'll, you'll take note of other things that he did. Other ways that he did not retaliate or retreat. He stood firm in who he knew he was, even though it must have hurt terribly. For you, the empty seat at your table that hurts right now is also an open seat for you to be able to show love to those God places near you the ones God has put into your path to be with you right now. You see, painful rejection doesn't need to lead to hopeless despair. Galatians 6, 9 says, let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Who doesn't love the idea of reaping a harvest? If you've ever actually participated in a Harvest? Anyone gone out in a field before and helped with a harvest? There's something pretty cool about just seeing the bounty of the earth, that visual. Who doesn't love that idea? It says you can have that if you do what? 
don't give up. Are you rejected at work? Guess what? That's painful. Feel it. And don't give up. Have a friend that keeps saying something that just stings. Guess what? That hurts. Don't give up. Are you feeling not wanted anymore? I know that that can be traumatic, and it is. Don't give up. Sometimes in our life we play the woulda, coulda, shoulda game of regret. Oh, how my life would have turned out, or should or could have turned out, if that hadn't happened. If they hadn't done that or responded like that, or if I hadn't done that or responded like that. And the problem with that is that we keep looking back and we end up missing what's in front of us. Jesus looked around at the crowd in that house and he invited them. Whoever does the will of God is family to me. The question isn't, are you going to experience rejection? The question is how you are going to respond to the rejection that you will encounter. And answering that question depends on where you choose ultimately to look. Because even though the world says you have to do or hold one opinion, it's actually possible to feel two things at once. You can feel both the pain of hurt and the promise of hope at the same time. Jesus felt the pain and hurt of those who weren't there, but he also chose to be present for and invest in those who were there. As you feel this in your own life, which one of those two is directing your steps right now? Pain or promise? If it is the pain of deep hurt in your life, then I would encourage you to allow the Lord to bandage your wound and begin to heal you. He is the great comforter, his word says. And as God heals your wounds, binds up the brokenhearted, then lift your eyes up and look around to see who God has brought into your life for this season right now. Sometimes people that leave can be the best thing for us. Hebrews 12 says this, For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you do not grow weary, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Why did Jesus respond to rejection in the ways that he did? For the joy set before him. What is that joy? It's not a what, it's a who. You and me and all who would come to believe in his name. It was Jesus' joy that kept him going and moving beyond rejection. It was that hope of all who would respond to his invitation to be with him. That's my hope for you today. For the sight of that to also become your great joy.
heal your pain and invigorate your sense of his promise for your life. Church, I invite you to pray with me as we prepare to come to the Lord's table today. A reminder for communion, you don't have to be a member here at Edgewater. The only requirement is that you have accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And if you are feeling the pain of recent rejection, then I invite you to pray with me this morning. Lord, I pray for those who are hurting today. You are the one who comforts the brokenhearted and you call the burdened to come to you. I pray for that right now. Lord, soften hearts. Allow those who are in pain today to see even through tears the hopeful and preferred future that you have already planned for them. Inspire them to see beyond the pain to where you would have them to be. If you are here today, then perhaps it's because Jesus is holding a seat open for you. Maybe you've been around him for a moment or two or maybe for many years. But now you're starting to see what it can be like to be truly with him. When Jesus looked at the people around him, he saw real people in need. He looked with eyes of love and compassion and grace and forgiveness. It's the same way he looks at you. And he wants you to be with him. He says, I have a seat saved just for you. I'm inviting you to join my family. If you don't yet have a relationship with Jesus or the kind of relationship that you'd like, then all it takes to sit in that seat of honor is to tell Jesus the truth. Lord, I've sinned. I've made plenty of mistakes. But I also believe that you came to earth to save me from all that. I believe you were raised by the power of God. That you came to life from death. And I want to confess you, Jesus, as the Lord of my life and my Savior. I want to receive your grace, forgiveness, and sit at your table. Welcomed in as a full family member and given new life to live with you forever. Church, when we pray, we never pray alone. So if you are already a follower of Jesus, then I encourage you to pray this as well in your heart. All you have to say is, Father, I turn from my sin. And I want to follow you, O oh Jesus. I believe that you love me enough to save me. Thank you, Lord, for this new life you're giving me. As I give you my life in faith and in hope, and when we pray that, Christ's church says, Amen and Hallelujah. Church, I want you to know as we come to celebrate communion, where we are brought and become one with Christ, that if this is part of your response today, then both Christ and his church say welcome. 
you are most welcome. So I invite you to pray with me and then we will come to the table and partake of all that the Lord has prepared. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your grace and your forgiveness and your love. We thank you for the truth that you are with us and you will never leave us and never forsake us. Grant us your peace, your comfort. Heal those wounds inside of us so that we can respond to a world who is in desperate need of your love with the love that you first gave to us. Amen.